Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Josh Sergeant to my Josh Colonel. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. It's Josh Colonel. Yeah, Josh Colonel, because it's a higher rank than Sergeant. Uh, That's the joke I'm making, Justin. Uh, Do you get it now? Yeah, yeah, sorry, I'm slightly disappointed by it. But no, I'm really good, thank you, Ryan. How are you? Oh, I'm just amazed that you've actually asked me how I am because usually yeah. when we do this podcast, you never ask me how I am. Are you feeling particularly joyous today, Justin? It's a it's a Thursday. It's, there's a lot of lot of plans that you know we'll be doing privately after the podcast. So it's exciting. That's about it, really. It makes it makes us sound like we're doing something devious, Justin. When you put it, does, it doesn't like it? That. Yeah, it's a bit, yeah, a bit of a we're way. going to a, a wedding afterwards, so. That, that's what me and Justin have to look forward to later today, but I'm sure it's going to be a fun little outing where I'm sure me and Justin won't get too intoxicated. Um, <laughs> but welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We've had a full round of midweek games in the championship, or nearly a full round if it wasn't with Coventry's pitch being made out of sand. Um, so we'll go through all the games that have happened in the championship from the past couple of days. Talk about some of the news as well from the past few days and then finish off with a good old game of Diddy or didn't he? But before we get underway, let me tell you, listener, about our friends at FansBet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to 200 pounds terms and restrictions apply full details on site 18 plus please do gamble responsibly visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out fansbet responsible gambling tools let's kick things off with blackburn their 100 start to the season came to an end they were beaten 3-0 away at reading and justin i thought reading were great yeah it was a uh, uh... A very, I wouldn't say a one-sided, well, no, it was a very one-sided win. It was like Reading were the team top of the league um, compared to Blackburn. And I think with Blackburn, their issues are, obviously, they didn't create many chances and didn't hear, but the, the, the plus about them is they haven't been conceding any, but Reading were scintillating um, going forwards. They were they were absolutely quality, and it does make you wonder if they can get that level if they can make that performance a little bit more consistent going forwards and they will be absolutely fine this um this season i think uh, credit goes to paul Ince for turning the team around after what was a disastrous performance because it wasn't just joe lonely who had a mare um the 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 midfield gave rotherham's midfield too much time in that four defeat at the weekend and gave them a lot of respect to, to dictate the game um, and he didn't lay a glove on them so to come come against blackburn who are top of the league defensively very very good and batter them I think deserves a lot of credit 
yeah, Tom Ince was great. Tom Holmes and Tom McIntyre were both rocks at the back. The lad who really stood out for me was Mamadou Laum in midfield. He looks a real player, Justin. He's a new signing from Porto on loan. He absolutely dominated the midfield. Everything that Blackburn tried to create was completely broken down by him. And Blackburn created very little in this game, and that is in mm-hmm. large part down to how well he protected the back four because he was just an absolute monster in the, the middle of the park. Maybe not too surprising, really, when you consider he played more than 30 games in La Liga for Alaves, I think it was, last season. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that Reading had signed him, I thought, OK, that's an interesting signing for someone to play that many games in the top flight of a major European league. He must have some talent. So I was a bit surprised when Reading signed him, despite not knowing much about him. But yeah, he's looked really good here. Um, And hopefully we'll see more of him in the coming weeks. And it could end up being a master bit of business from the Royals. But I think it has been a good start to the season for them, hasn't it, Justin? Two wins from four. Just about everyone's predicted them to go down. Some even had them bottom. Four games doesn't really mean jack at this point. But it's a start that I'd be happy with if I was a Reading fan. Yeah, absolutely. As I say, there are times when it clicks, there are times when it doesn't, um, and they're going to have that throughout the season. But what they, what I would like to see from them is just a little bit more consistency performance-wise um, and you know, deploy a bit more of an attitude where the world is against them um, in, a, in a way. And again, I can speak from experience as a supporter as a supporter you know with Derby is that that's that's something that does work for your team um so if they can blend that with the quality they have because they do have quality throughout the team you look at Junior Hoyer's goal for example was absolutely outstanding um last night I know Kaminsky could have maybe could have done better but he he hit that so hard Kaminsky wouldn't have any wrist left if he tried to put anything in front of it um and Lucas Shaw when he came on you saw the quality um of, of his finish so there is there is quality throughout the team. Um, it's just about getting that level of performance consistent enough that they are going to be difficult to break down, and they are going to get their attacking players attacking players in the game a lot more throughout um, throughout the ninety minutes, and not just sort of ghosting and out of the uh, um, yeah of a, of a game. I'm not sure they have more quality than many other championship sides if I'm being completely honest but I do see what you mean about them having this world against them kind of attitude because that can really blend a team together and really create this spirit that we saw with Derby last season and really get the best out of all the players there and make them work that 1% harder so I think that would definitely be what Paul Ince would try to do I think he has tried to do that in some ways already but if you can get that out of him even more then Reading will have a sterling chance of staying up we upset a lot of Blackburn fans by pointing out that they've been winning games despite not having many shots in those games and having the lowest expected goals in the league Justin I can understand supporters disagreeing with our opinions but when they're disagreeing with actual facts then I suppose that says a lot about certain sections of fan bases (laughs) whatever the case them not winning here isn't a surprise is it losing in the manner they did is a bit of a shock though yeah, not winning is a surprise, but losing the game, as as you say, as they did, is is a surprise because what you know what I mentioned at the start was 
yes, they haven't been creating chances, but they've been incredibly solid. They've been very efficient um, and they have been clinical. And that's just not going forward and scoring, but also in, in, in their approach play and, and picking their moments to attack. Um, good counter-attacking teams do that. And what Blackburn did in that first three games was they became a very good counter-attacking team. Here, Reading sat back a little bit, didn't want to take the onus with the ball like other teams have against Blackburn. And... Um, and 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 they made they made Blackburn pay. So, yeah, it does highlight some of the key areas that need to be improved upon with with Blackburn, such as you know, if in terms of a game plan, if teams do start to sit back, what can they do? Um, because you know, without that, if they if if they if teams if opposition teams deploy them with the ball um, and they're not pressing, then they're going to struggle. That's what I'm getting from Blackburn at the moment. The concern for me would be. Ben Berrettin Diaz is looking very likely all of a sudden to be heading out the door at Blackburn. And I think his form in the first four games was, in a kind of strange way, actually a bad thing for Blackburn because it's enticed <laughs> clubs back into buying him. Although maybe Blackburn will see it as a good thing because it means they can cash in on a player who's out of contract next summer. However, they're going to lose a player who's been central to all their success from the past year and a bit, particularly with the finishing off chances that Blackburn have been creating, which, as we keep saying, haven't been coming in abundance, have they? So if Blackburn continue to create chances at the rates that they have been and don't have a Brereton Diaz, for example, finishing them off, then that's going to be a worry. However, it is only four games of the season. The window is still open, so we won't be doing any Hail Marys just yet, Justin. But when you've created as few chances as Blackburn have so far that's not going to stand you in good stead for the remainder of the season if that's a continuing factor that's all I'll say Norwich finally got three points on the board after beating Huddersfield 2-1 it was a bit nervy towards the end but for the majority of the game Norwich dominated and didn't really look like a side who had struggled in their first three games did they no Norwich have been dominating games Norwich have been creating chances um you know, you only have to look at their XG uh, as to you know a good example of the good goal scoring chances they created. But they just haven't taken the moments, um, and as well as that, when teams have gone ahead against them, they've struggled to then create good goal scoring chances because teams sitting in. Um, but what they did here is they took the chances early on. I thought Daniel Sonani and, and Josh Sargent worked really well and linked up together really, really well. So it does make. Uh, things interesting for Timo Puki coming back into the team for the weekend if he's fit. Um, but yeah, they they were they were much better here. They pretty much have been doing what they've been doing over the last few games, but putting the ball in the back of the net, which is as simple as that. Okay, yeah, as you say, Huddersfield made it nervy at the end. Um, that's probably the only criticism from this game you can give them. So a much better performance. They took the chances at the right time, and it made them a lot more comfortable, which I think will allow Norwich to thrive if they can do that in games more often but it's just when teams do do take the chances against them that's when they struggle well you mentioned Sargent and uh, Sonani Pukki was injured so Sargent came in for him scores gives Dean Smith a nice little problem for when Timu Pukki's back fit Rashidza was dropped for Daniel Sonani who scored against his old side also got an <laughs> assist and Considering how good he was for Huddersfield last season, Justin, I'm surprised that he's played as few minutes for Norwich so far as he has done. But this is a great way to claim your place in the starting eleven for him, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. He wasn't. He didn't pull up um, trees 
last season in in any way. But he was a good, effective player for Huddersfield, um, and you know he adds a lot of quality in the final third. But by way of his ability to get around a player and link up with with his um, with his teammates, and also his, his set piece quality as well. So you know it does go a long way in the championship. And as well, if you've got that point to prove, you know you look at Rashika uh, for, for example last season, really really poor and. I've not really been enamoured with him this season either. Sonani's come in, he's taken his chance and he's he's given Dean Smith that headache. And I think if you've got players on the fringes who have quality, who have a point to prove, that goes a long way to getting more out of them and more out of your team as well. Yeah, I was having a look at Norwich's um, first few games when they won the league in 2019. They started that with one win from six games and then, as we know, blew everyone else out of the water. And they have been poor prior to this win, so I'm not saying it's going to happen again, but it shows a slow start isn't necessarily the end of the world. So it's all about momentum for Dean Smith's boys at this stage, isn't it? They've got Millwall at home this weekend and we'll be looking to get another three points. Then if they can build upon that, then sky's the limit really, isn't it? But we have got to keep in mind how poor they were in those first three games. Uh, Huddersfield won their first game of the season at the weekend. Couldn't build on it here. It was always going to be quite difficult to do that, I suppose. Away at Norwich, no matter what form they're in. So can't really cast much of a judgment on them, can we, Justin? In the Troy Deeney derby, Birmingham managed to hold Watford to a one all draw. I was a bit worried about Birmingham heading into this one after how poorly they played against Cardiff, but they should be chuffed with a point, shouldn't they? Especially after Watford um, being, you know, as brilliant going forwards as they were because they created so many chances, just couldn't find the bloody back of the net. Well, exactly. I think if it rained for an extra 10 minutes, that Gaspar chance may have may have rolled in, but credit <laughs> to Dion Sanderson for for getting um, for getting on the end of it. But yeah, it was it was a much better performance from Birmingham. They were much better in possession. They were much more of a threat in possession, which uh, yeah, didn't really take much um, considering how poor they were against Cardiff. But uh, as well as that, they nullified a lot of Watford's threats. Um, so again, credit to them. Um, but again, that, that's with John Eustace integrating young players into the team. You look at the, the goal scorer. Um, I thought the goal actually was really good approach play from Birmingham and gives you an idea of, of what they can do going forward. It's a really good channel ball for Hogan and a really good cross and a, and a late run from Hall. And and again, they stood firm for for the rest of the game, albeit, yeah, could have been, could have been a, um, uh, there, were, there could have been a winner for Watford, but it wasn't, wasn't to be. But again, with Watford, it gives them a lot of room for improvement because, it's been a steady start. It's been a good start, but you certainly it certainly leaves a lot to be desired in terms of what they can do. George Hall scored his first ever senior goal for Birmingham. He's only just turned 18 and has immediately been linked with a move away. I've seen reports that Birmingham might be forced to sell some of their most talented youngsters. Not sure how true they are, but one to look out for over the next couple of weeks. Vakun Bayo, who's a new signing for Watford from Belgium. If he had a shooting boot, Sonny really should have wrapped this up for Watford. Watford fans will be hoping this isn't a sign of things to come now that Dennis is gone. Possibly with Pedro and Saar heading out the door too. Ray Manai did get on the score sheet though. Worth mentioning, Saar wasn't included in the squad for this one. Apparently injured, but it's always a bit mm. suspicious when they've been linked with a move mm. away, isn't it? Um, I think it's been a bit of a weird start for Watford, hasn't it? They're unbeaten. Had a horrible starting few games against West Brom, Burnley and Sheffield United. They are excellent in that first game, weren't they, against Sheffield United. Then the other three, not so much. 
you can't turn your nose up at a draw away at the Hawthorns and a winner against Burnley, but the performance has left a lot to be desired. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the final two weeks of the transfer window with them, isn't it? Because I think they've relied a lot on the star quality of Pedro, Saar and Dennis in those first three games. If they head into the new season as they are, I wouldn't be too confident about them going up, Justin. I imagine they'll be given the extra funds to strengthen, but we'll have to wait and see, won't they? Because mm-hmm. with them signing the likes of Bayo, Davis, Manai, whether they do strengthen up top, I'm not too sure. Maybe they'll bring in an extra one. But yeah, I'd be a bit worried if I was a Watford fan with the squad being left as it is, if that was to be the case. Final thing I'd say on this game, I was flicking through the ITV highlights of this and the reporter who was commentating on this game said, Ken Seymour, who scored Watford's equaliser in this game, he said Seymour had scored from the halfway line and missed a penalty against West Brom. So, did he? <laughs> it's two halfway line goals. <laughs> Fair play. How, how can you possibly get it that wrong, Justin? It's just... Amazing. I, I had to listen back to it a good three times yeah. to make sure I wasn't going insane. It was. Uh, I, t- yeah. I tell you what, if Ken Semmer can pull that off with his right foot, and Watford fans, please feel free to, to correct me, but I've never seen Ken Semmer kick the ball with his right foot. So if he can if he can score from the halfway line with his right foot, then fair play, sir. <laughs> it, would ex- it would explain the penalty, wouldn't it? Burnley were also held to a 1 0 draw at home to Hull. My lord, Burnley missed some good chances here, didn't they, Justin? Yeah, they did. And what got me in this game was Burnley fans were um, chanting anti-football chants at Hull, which I thought was really ironic, given that Burnley <laughs> Burnley played a very industrial style for a number of years. But um, yeah, it's it, again, it's they, they they created a good lot, a good load of chances, but they're they're missing that forward a lot, like Norwich, um, and a lot. Well, not necessarily missing that forward, but missing that spark in the final third, a lot like Norwich and a lot like Watford at the moment. Um, which I guess is what happens when you have to sell your players after a Premier League relegation or sell your best players um, uh, after a Premier League relegation. But I do I do like what company's doing with Burnley and I think you have got to recognise what he's turned them into from what they were. Like I said, the anti-football chance is, is quite rich coming from Burnley fans. But that's what they were. They weren't a great footballing side, but company has turned them into a, a fairly effective unit going forward in possession and it's been good. But they're just missing that spark in the final third. They do need a striker, and it is that is that did show in this game. But when teams drop back, as Luton did, um, as Watford did, and make it difficult for Burnley, Burnley struggle. Well, Jay Rodriguez scored Burnley's goal on his first start of the season. He could have had a hat trick on another day. But as you say, you've been saying they need another striker. Do you think Jay Rodriguez could be the answer to that conundrum? I do like Jay Rodriguez a lot um, at this level. I am slightly concerned that his goal record over the past few years, albeit not playing as a number nine, um, has been a bit sketchy. But his form at West Brom showed um, a couple of seasons ago, a few seasons ago, that he is a very good forward at this level. So maybe if he does get games, he will be that 15-goal striker that he needs because there'll be goals all over the pitch or there should be goals all over the pitch. I think one thing I will mention as well is individual ability is it a pass first mentality of Burnley at the moment because if you look at the completed dribbles who completed nine Burnley competed three um Burnley have got quality in the team they just need to express themselves a little bit more they've still got Scott Twine to come back into yeah. the team and if you have a striker complementing his ability then he will score plenty of goals for them this season I thought Ian Martin was brilliant here for Burnley as well Ozan two fans scored Hall's goal 
He's impressed me so far, Justin. Signed in the summer and has looked a really good move, despite us being told relentlessly by Watford fans that he was shit. Yeah, well, I picked him out as my key player for Hull for a reason. Um, surprisingly, 77 caps for Turkey, who aren't a crap national team. Um, yeah, they're no Luxembourg. Um, you know, 77 caps for, for Turkey. There's a, there's, a, there's ability there, isn't there? Um, I've really liked Tufan so far. I've, uh, you know, I think he's... Um, I think he's overshadowed Seri's influence on the team uh, a lot and I'm quite glad I picked him out as my key player now because he's, yeah, as you say, really impressed me. Really composed with the ball. Looks really fit as well. Watford fans were telling us that he, <laughs> he wasn't up for playing football um, but he's looking he's looking really sharp, really good and a really, really good player for Hull at the moment. Yeah, definitely him, Seri in midfield, as well as um, the other Turkish lad they've signed, whose name is completely escaped me. (laughs) Could be really, really handy. But um, so far, yeah, Hull have looked really, really good, haven't they? And uh, just a point off the top of the league, I believe. Stoke scored an injury time equaliser to draw 2-2 at home to Middlesbrough. This was a tremendous game. Both teams have plenty of chances. Middlesbrough had the better ones there, and Chris Wilder will be thinking his side should have put this one to bed. Yeah, going through the motions, aren't they? Um, Borough conceding more goals than I would have liked to have seen them concede at the moment. But well, Justin, going forwards... Justin, Justin, let me say, Middlesbrough, have, they've scored and conceded the most goals in the division so far. If anything, I thought it would be the exact opposite. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, I mean, the fact that they were struggling to get forward in, I think it's testament to Chris Wilder's um, ability to coach a team with an attractive style of play that does create chances. Um, they're just missing that forward, or, or, or were. But at the moment, they just need to. It's, it's all about leveling it, leveling out. Because if you look at the, the, I think it was the Brown goal. How Dwight Gale's one and one, and then Brown sort of left unmarked on the on the break, and then the, the equaliser from Wright Phillips. He's left unmarked at the back. It really is just fine tuning moments rather than overhauling the style of play because. They are shooting themselves in the foot with the goals that they're conceding. They're not being opened up or ripped apart by teams. It's just it's just bad errors, bad judgment and, and poor concentration that's letting them down. Yeah, I think, as we'll keep saying, it's very hard to judge this Middlesbrough team until it's the end of the transfer window because they mm-hmm. will be very active over the next couple of weeks. So we'll have a better idea of how Middlesbrough will do once we have a full-strength Middlesbrough team because they still want a defender. I'm pretty sure they still wanted the striker or maybe even two strikers at that so once that's all said and done we'll be able to tell with a better judgment how good this Middlesbrough team is because right now Chris Wilder's having to make do with what he's got to be fair it's still not very bad and them not winning a game so far is probably a bit disappointing but we'll uh, cast more of a judgment in probably a month's time or so for Stoke though injury time equaliser can't be sniffed out they'll be very happy with this result and even more happy with the news that the prophecy has been fulfilled Justin <laughs> the son of the throwing launcher himself is returning to the Bet365 stadium Liam Delap hugely on the show, we, we don't like to talk about transfer rumours, do we? Um, even though this seems to be more confirmed than transfer room at this stage. Um, but Liam Delap coming to Stoke City, Justin, obviously. Fighting off a lot of interest from Premier Clubs at that. This could be an exciting time for Stoke, couldn't it? Yeah, I'll make this easy. Yes, it will. But I'm going straight to a player reveal pitch. The, a manger, right? A manger. Mm, I like this already. Rory Delap, somewhere in the rafters, in the skies, 
just looking down on um, this manger within a barn, an open top barn. We need to see into it. And then okay. Liam Delap in the manger, wrapped up like a small baby Jesus. Okay. Prophecy fulfilled. Reveal and video. Rory Delap instantly throwing him 50 meters <laughs> across the desert. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're here for uh, we're here for social media management as well. If anyone wants to uh, approach us, <laughs> make it happen, please. Right, Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Millwall's miraculous comeback away at Swansea. back to the second tier podcast so two injury time goals for Millwall saw them draw two all away at Swansea at the weekend they managed to come back from two goals down to win 3-2 Millwall are the comeback kings so far aren't they Justin they are but I don't think anybody will be too happy about it um <laughs> I, th- I think to Swansea's credit they were they were very good going forwards and they were a lot more slick um and a lot more yeah creative and clinical um but yeah Millwall I think the disappointing thing is they are conceding soft goals at the moment and and teams are opening them up but to their credit they have that never say die attitude this early on in the season as well where fitness isn't quite at its peak you know four games in plays on at their um, peak levels yet uh, within the season um, and it's a very hard thing to coach into a team that never say die attitude um, but Rowett's got that instilled into the players and a lot of the group's been there for a long time which which is really really helpful mixed with some good young players and some new players as well really nice blend but as I say yes they've come back Swansea capitulated we will be buzzing knee slides galore on the side but take it with a pinch of salt you you, you can do better at will with various concerns about Swansea converting possession into chance into chances, but it was much better here. They could have been four 0 up after the first twenty minutes, so that's encouraging. But it will be massively disappointing to drop two points in the manner that they did. Russell Martin was absolutely fuming at a so-called senior player on their subs bench. He said, "The ball goes out for a throw-in." And one of our players not involved punches the ball back onto the pitch. I'm absolutely furious about it. I've told him that just can't happen. He punches the ball back to them to take a throw in quickly and we can see the goal. It's been claimed online that it was Jamie Patterson. That's just what other people have been saying, though. I have no further proof on the matter. But yeah, Russell Martin, not a happy boy with that player or his players in general for conceding two own goals in extra time. One thing to note is Swansea have developed a worrying habit of throwing away big leads now towards the end of last season they were 4-1 up against Reading in the 70th minute drew 4 all they were 3-0 up against Bournemouth in the 70th minute and drew 3-3 and now they've had this so that's a concern for Swansea and Russell Martin as well as as we were saying before about converting chances into goals I'd also be a bit concerned about Joel Pirro because he I'm not sure if his head's been turned, but he hasn't looked himself in these first four games. So maybe we'll just take the closure of the transfer window for that to change. Sheffield United 2, Sunderland 1. The sending off of Daniel Neal in the 31st minute meant this was always going to be a struggle for Sunderland, wasn't it, Justin? Yeah, but to their credit, I still thought they were very, very good and very, very dangerous, even with 10 men against a really tough opposition with Sheffield United. Um and they more than matched Sheffield United and were very worthy of something from the game. But credit Sheffield United, they were just a lot better and they had a lot more quality in their side. Um, and I think it's testament to Alex Neil, who 
as I say, refused to switch things up too too negatively to try and see the game out. You know, he went for Sheffield United, which you know, if a team goes down to ten men um, and, and you lose your, your midfielder, you can expect teams to to go at you and make it difficult. Um, but actually, I thought Sunderland were, were very very effective in in how they managed with uh, managed the game of ten men. And again, I think that's testament to Neil and what he's instilled in those players. Because you look at how nightmarish at times games were last season under Lee Johnson to now, it's chalk and cheese for Sunderland. Well, it's Sunderland's first loss, and I think you've yeah. got to. Uh, be very happy with how they've done so far if you're a Sunderland fan and it's quite impressive you're a neutral too because I know it's Sunderland it's a big club but it's a club coming up from League One and in recent years clubs coming up from League One have struggled a bit haven't they so for this to be their first loss away at Sheffield United I don't think anyone would have blamed them for losing away at Sheffield United in the first place but to put up such a good fight despite being down to 10 men for 60 minutes Mm -hmm is even more impressive. So, yeah, you've got to be very happy with how Sunderland have started so far. Nice goal from Lyndon Gooch, too. And the man of the match for me in this game was clear. Anel Ahmed Zozovic was the star of the show. I pronounced his name differently in every single show that we've done so far, Justin, but as long as you say it quickly and with confidence, no one will say anything. But he got a goal and an assist, which isn't too bad for a centre-back, isn't it? But it's not just that, though. Defensively, he was excellent and he's been really good every time I've seen him so far I can completely understand now why Paul Heckingbottom was so pissed off that he was suspended (laughs) for the first couple of uh, or the first game of the season and he didn't really know about it but he's dominated at the back so far and Paul Heckingbottom's been a long-term admirer of his we're talking many months before he signed him so he was very clear very keen to get him in the summer they paid a lot of money for him that shouldn't be ignored but so far he's looked like he's been worth every single pound. So, yeah, he's looked a really, really tidy bit of business for Sheffield United. Um, But only one defeat in Sheffield United's last 17 home games. Bramall Lane has really been a fortress for them and that's where they've been getting the vast majority of their points in this season and last season as well, towards the end of last season. So, yeah, things are going very nicely for Sheffield United so far. Goals from Narky Wells and Tommy Conway saw Bristol City beat Luton 2-0. Bristol City have held on to a lead, Justin Peach. When I saw Mark Sykes get sent off in the 67th minute, I thought, oh no, here we go. Luton had most of their shots after that point, but nothing significant. And for Bristol City, that makes a nice change, doesn't it? God, yeah. Uh, which is weird because Nigel Pearson was so angry in his post-match presser. Um, but to, to to Bristol City's credit, going 2-0 up against Luton, very difficult thing to do, to, to restrict them to half chances for... Well, an hour of the game again it's a very accomplishing thing to do because Luton have been very good at creating chances this season just haven't been put uh, just haven't been putting them away so this was a really good game for Bristol City where game management was at the fore going 2-0 up quite early on I mean it's a cliche in football but it is risky because if a team pulls a goal back it does get very nervy especially if they pull a goal back you know early into the second half but they didn't um, and Bristol City were good they managed the game Daniel Bentley was was there when he needed to be there um, and and they made it really really difficult for Luton to make headway into their box, which, to be honest, Bristol City haven't been you know haven't been very good at that this season. They've they've been very easy to um, to create uh, create chances against so far. Yeah, nicely summed up, really. Nigel Pearson said after the game that he's thought about retiring from football because of the standard of officiating in England. He thought his side should have had a penalty and Luton should have had a man sent off. But on that point, Justin. I mean, it says a lot, doesn't it, about how stressful it must be being a manager 
and how terrible the officiating is in England in general, really, Justin, because he's not wrong, is he? The, the standard at times is pretty appalling, isn't it? It is, it is. Um, but is it going to get better overnight? It isn't. Um, I, I understand and he is, making a, he is creating a conversation and raising a point which does raise other concerns. Um, but you have to point the finger, not necessarily at the officials, but the PGMOL. Um, as as well as investment into grassroots as well, because if there's no referees, there's no football. It's as simple as that. Uh, you know, are, are there enough referees coming through at grassroots level? Don't think there are. Um, you know, I finished playing my I finished my playing days this summer. Most referees I had last season were over forty. Doesn't scream succession planning. You know, we talk about football success, uh, football club succession planning. Is the same thing happening at a local level with referees? No, simple as that. Yeah, we've bemoaned the standard of refereeing at this level plenty of times, haven't we? And to be fair, Bristol City have had some high-profile decisions go against them already. Yeah. That whole that whole penalty, for example, <laughs> on the first game of the season is the one that sticks out in the mind the most. So I can understand Nigel Pearson's frustration. I would say that he's not the only manager who's had poor decisions going against him. I think every... Managers had poor decisions go against them, and I think it does even itself out as the season goes on. But I can understand why he's saying that he's thought about retiring because it must be incredibly frustrating when your team's playing well and then a decision like that, Hall penalty, for example, goes against you when it's clearly not a penalty. So and your job's on the line. And your job's on the line, and it doesn't take much for a manager to be sacked at the end of the day, does it? So, yeah, I can understand Pearson's frustration. Something does need to happen with referees at this level. I know VAR light has been mentioned in the AFL. I would certainly be for that, um, or any form of VAR for that matter, just because the referees do need help, because there is so much at stake in these games, and we can't afford for you know a poor decision to end up costing teams points, because mm. there is so much at stake at the end of the day. Uh, back to the game, I said in Sunday's episode that if Luton keep playing the way they are, then the results will come. Well, they didn't play the way they have been here. They deserve to lose this, lose this one. I won't be afraid to admit that. The only sort of excuse I could come up with really is last season, they did tend to have that one in every six or seven games, didn't they, where they just didn't turn up and maybe mm -hmm. that was this one game here. Final point is, did you see the video of the rain at Ashton Gate before the game? The, you know, when the rain all seems to like come together in one position in particular, it was absolutely chucking it down on the Luton Town away bench for this game. So I'm not sure Nathan Jones would have been sat down much. Having said that, he doesn't really sit down much in the dugout anyway, does he? West Brom are still looking for their first league win after drawing nil-nil at home to Cardiff. This wasn't a game for the ages by any means. Good result for Cardiff, though. It's funny because even though West Brom haven't won yet, Justin, I think they've actually played quite well in their four games so far. Maybe not this one here, but certainly the first three. Yeah, absolutely. They they have impressed me. They've been one of the teams that have impressed me. Um, but much like Burnley, Watford, even Cardiff, what this game exemplifies for West Brom and Cardiff actually is the need for a, a clinical forward. Um, and it's not just putting chances away, it's making those runs, dragging players away. It's going to leave space for John Swift to um, to be in and around that that, that um, area where he can, he can put chances away. And similar to Jed Wallace, they're creating a shed load of chances, West Brom. Um but it is just being clinical. 
Um, and you know, they, they shook Cardiff out here. They didn't have too much to offer um, Cardiff and Steve Morrison's team, but it is a results business. It, it let Valor and Ishmael down. The players do need to step up because, again, it, it comes down to accountability. If they're not putting chances away, then they're not going to get results. It's really as simple as that, and it's the same same symptom here. Well, it's just carried on from the theme of last season, <laughs> isn't it? West Brom put, not putting away chances, and that's why they need to sign a striker. I haven't seen them really been linked with any strikers on my um, Twitter well, feed alone. What, sorry? There was Delap. Delap was linked with a low move, um, which clearly well, isn't happening. So Delap seemed to be linked with everyone, but they need to get someone in through the door, don't they? Without a doubt. A Josh Bowler goal against his old club saw Blackpool beat QPR 1-0. It's the first time in 50 years that the Seasiders have won at Loftus Road. QPR had loads of the ball, but Blackpool kept it very solid. Didn't really look in too much danger of throwing it away, to be completely honest. Considering many people had Blackpool down as a relegation contender this season, two wins, two losses, I think Michael Abbott would have took that before the season started, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And again, yeah, fairly disruptive start to the season and slow recruitment as well. So you've got to put your hat off to to Appleton. And I really enjoyed their performance. It was a really good away performance and that they, they kept it solid. They restricted QPR to um to some half chances, albeit the Lyndon Dykes one where he thought he was offside should have been um should have been a goal. Well he should have put it out of the way, sorry. But other than that QPR didn't really get too much of a sniff and then going forwards you give the ball to Josh Bowler he, you know what he can do but Jerry H I thought Jerry H was a nuisance as well I, I really enjoyed the performance the midfield really impressed me as well Patino until he went off injured was really nice and composed and, and, and Fiorini as well yeah it's a really nice blend at Blackpool fairly similar to last season to be honest with you where they're not scoring too many goals but they're, they're getting results and you know I hope to see much of that uh, much of the same because as I say I really enjoyed this performance from Blackpool yeah, I'm not going to disagree. Only thing to mention from a QPR perspective is Senny Dieng's goal drought is one game long now. Fraud. <laughs> and finally, Preston nil, Rotherham nil. Preston have become only the second team in Championship history to not concede a goal in their first four games. And that's because the Brad Potts wonder goal from the weekend continues to be the only goal scored in any of their games so far. The rest have all been nil-nil. How this was nil-nil, I don't know, though, because Preston missed so many chances. They really, really should have got three points from this one. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news, and we'll begin with transfers. QPR have signed Ethan Laird on loan from Man United. The right wing-back spent the first half of last season at Swansea before joining Bournemouth in January. I really like Laird as a player, Justin. Very good going forwards, isn't he? Yeah, it's a yeah, very accomplished player. And the form he showed at Swansea in the first half of the season, he was a terrific signing for them. Really was a massive shame that he left and went to Bournemouth because I think that disrupted his season and his development. So I do hope he can pick up where he left off um, yeah, from his Swansea spell because he was so important to the Harry Russell Martin's team function going forwards and how they created chances last season. Um, so yeah, really, really tidy signing and it seemed to be linked with everybody, but QPR managed to get him. So yeah, top, top signing. Says a lot about how wanted he was that QPR mm. managed to get him. Um, it's going to be interesting because I think of him as more of a wing back than I do a full back. He played in a back four against Blackpool. So whether that highlights his defensive vulnerabilities, I'm not too sure. But going forwards, without a doubt, he's a really, really top player. And considering right back last season was an area where I think QPR really needed to strengthen and just didn't get round to doing it, 
this is brilliant that they've managed to get him in now because he's one of the best players who was available on loan for mm. championship clubs. So, yeah, I, I really like this signing and um, hopefully it'll give them plenty more width from the wings in terms of going forwards too. Stoker brought in Brent, Brentford midfielder Tariq Fosu on loan. We'll be honest, Justin, he's someone I completely forgotten existed because he struggled so much with injury recently, but he was a very handy player for Brentford when they got promoted one so could end up being a really good move. Luton have let midfielder Carlos Mendes Gomez leave to go to Fleetwood on loan. Meanwhile, Danny McNamara has signed a new contract at Millwall. The right wing back was in the final year of his old deal and was subject to a lot of interest from QPR, but he's staying at the den. QPR have signed Laird. Everyone's happy. Now, it looks as if Pitchgate at Coventry City may finally be coming to an end, Justin. A six-figure investment is being made to fix the pitch. It won't be sorted out before their game against Huddersfield this weekend. That's already been postponed. But the clubs say it will be done before their next home fixture against Preston in two weeks' time. Coventry say the work will begin immediately and they're very pleased to have found a solution. I'm very pleased, Justin, that this is just something that we don't have to talk about anymore. Yeah, it's, it's rumbling on, rumbling on for far too long. To be honest with you, this this resolution should have been <laughs> sort of maybe a week ago. But as you say, it's it's, it's been done. It's a lot of money. Uh, yeah, pitches are expensive. Football clubs do invest a lot. Um, but unfortunately, it's just one of the pitfalls of being a tenant rather than a landlord, isn't it? Um, not to get into the political, the class political debate. Um, but yeah, credit to uh, I say credit to Coventry, but it, it's, it's getting sorted, and that's 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 the main thing. Well, it was looking a bit troublesome a couple of days ago because Wasps had apparently told Coventry that they weren't going to relay the pitch and that would have just been ridiculous, wouldn't it, if they weren't going to do that because I just don't see how else it could have been sorted out. Yeah, so now that Coventry and Wasps have finally come to a solution, hopefully we can just get on with it and hopefully it doesn't sour the relationship between the two parties <laughs> too much because it's been a bit tenuous at times hasn't it so um whether yeah. this has done any any damage to that i'm not too sure and what that could possibly lead to down the line who knows but we'll leave that there sticking with coventry former crystal palace owner turned talk sport pundit simon jordan says he's looking into buying the club he says it's something he looked at previously and says the sky blues would be a good club to buy Justin, thoughts? I like him as a broadcaster. He makes some good points at talk sport and he you know, gets people fired up. But considering he put his weight behind both Eric Alonso and Chris Kirchner, whom we know about Eric Alonso and now Chris Kirchner has been removed from his own company, they're not legitimate sources of money. So I would take that with a pinch of salt. But obviously, That being a Derby County, by the way. Yeah, sorry. Um, um, so if he does head up a consortium, yes, he does have experience with Palace. But... Um, yeah, I'll take it with a pinch of salt. I don't like I don't like potential owners or investors coming out publicly and stating their intentions to buy a football club. I don't think it works. I think it's just a bit of showmanship. Um, but who knows? He might do, he might not. I, I don't think he will, but yeah, there we go. Final bit of news. Sunderland defender Dan Ballard is going to be out for, quote, the foreseeable future after fracturing his foot, which is a big blow for Sunderland, isn't it? Because he's a fantastic player and has been really, really solid in his first few weeks as a Sunderland player. Right now, it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or <laughs> Didn't He. This is the part of the show 
You love that jingle, don't you? Just scared me, that scared me. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they've played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. It's currently 6-5 to Justin Peach after one week for the two of us. And it's his go today as well. So do you want the first clue on? Do you, do you want the first one, Justin? <laughs> yeah, let's go. First one is this. John Eustace and Middlesbrough. Did he or didn't he? You're asking an Eustace super fan here. No, he didn't. I know he didn't. One appearance on loan in two. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> That's the danger with this game, ladies and gentlemen. You can't go in too confident wow. because there's always the chance he had one little loan spell away at the start of his career. So Justin is already zero for one after <laughs> after after being so confident on the first one. Um, next one is this. Ashley Fletcher and Hall. Did he or didn't he? Mm, no, I don't think he played for Hall. He was linked with them at one point, but it didn't materialise. So you're absolutely correct, Justin. One out of two for you so far. Next up is Andre Gray and Charlton. Did he or didn't he? That's a tricky one. Because he could have potentially played for Charlton early on in his career, got release, went into non-league. Um, but I'm going, to look, I'm going to go logically clear and say no. He didn't. I made it up. So you're absolutely right, Justin. You've got two out of three so far. Next up, Jay Rodriguez and Barnsley. Did he or didn't he? I do feel like of you know, Wikipedia binges, we all do them. I do feel like I've seen Barnsley on his list of clubs on a, a, a you know, on a loan spell. Six appearances on loan in 2010. Mm. I was very certain you would not get that. So fair play to you, sunshine. Three out of four so far. You started to recover after your early blip. <laughs> Next up is Jimmy Bullard and Colchester. Did he or didn't he? He's from that area, isn't he? He was very Suffolk-based as well, sort of East Anglia way. Spell it Ipswich. Uh, but he came through at Peterborough, Wigan, West Ham. I don't think he did play for Colchester. You're spot on. He didn't. So, so far, four out of five. This is going very well for Justin. It did collapse in the second half of the quiz last time. So, <laughs> see if that happens again. Uh, Marvin Sordell and Coventry. Did he or didn't he? Oh, he, he had a lot of spells. A lot of short spells at clubs. Um, I, I, I feel he had a spell at Coventry. I'm going to say yes. Signed for them in 2016 and made 20 appearances. Justin oh. Peach, absolutely flying. He is loving life right now. Jolion Lescott and Sunderland, did he or didn't he? I think he did. I some reason I mm, kind of retract that. <laughs> Go on. What you said? I don't think he did. No. Sure. Yes. Two appearances in 2017, so that makes it five out of seven. I think I think it was right at the end of his career. So you've got five for seven. Eighth one is Kevin Doyle and Crystal Palace. Did he or didn't he? This is a 
difficult one because no, I don't think he did because I think the only time he would have played for Palace would have been when Palace were in the Premier League, and his career started to decline after 2014 or maybe even earlier. So I'm going to go strong and say no, no Palace spell for Doyle. Three appearances on loan in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> right when his decline started as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I do vaguely recall that one, um, but still, raising an eyebrow. Uh, so you've got five from eight. Steady score so far. Could be improved yeah. on with these final two. Marcus Tudgate and Charlton, did he or didn't he? <laughs> uh, again, that's a really difficult one. I think I know he plays for Coventry. I'd... I tell you what, I don't think he left the Midlands because he used to get his hair cut at the hairdressers I used to go to. So I think Charlton was a bit too far for him. Based purely on that logic, I'm going to say no. It's fairly sound logic, but it doesn't work out because he made two appearances on that <laughs> in 2014. Jesus Christ. It's a long way to get his hair cut as well. It certainly is, isn't it? Final one, Justin. You've got five. Can you make it six? Jacob Murphy and West Brom. Yes. No. Well, there's two of them. <laughs> Jacob, I think Jacob Murphy's the good one. Let me just check. I'll, I'll help you out. Yeah, Jacob there's, Murphy's um, the one who plays for Newcastle now. Uh, so, yes, I think he had a loan spell because his Newcastle spell didn't start off well. Um, and I think it was Darren Moore who brought him in on loan. So I'm going to say yes. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 13 appearances on loan in 2019. So six out of 10 for Justin Peach, which matches your score from last time you played as well, Justin. I think that's a fairly solid score, to be fair. There were some difficult ones in there as well. I was convinced Marcus Tugge never left the Midlands um, other than going to Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, but yeah, some tricky ones. And the John Eustace one, Christ alive. The John Eustace one was the one where I was like, there is no chance in hell that he's going to get that because he will claim he's a John Eustace super fan and immediately get it wrong. And exactly what I thought would happen did happen. But there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Did he or didn't he? Wrapped up for this week. That means the score is 12-5 to Justin Peach, who has... I've got a game in hand on him, so I can try and even that back up next week. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast, and this has been the Midweek Show. We've gone through all the games from the Midweek Round of Games, and we'll be back again on Sunday to talk about the weekend's games, as well as some of the news from the coming day. So we look forward to seeing you again then to talk all things Second Tier. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. (laughs) 